It's August the 1st. Let's read the Bible. Friends, welcome back to this year-long journey from Genesis to Revelation in just one year. So glad you have hopped on the Bible bus with us. And you know, because this is August, we've done January, February, March, April, May, June, July. This is the beginning of the eighth month of our pilgrimage, our journey, our adventure through the Word of God. Thank you so much for being with us. I want to say special thanks to those of you who've written notes, words of encouragement on Rumble, on YouTube, on Facebook. I have jotted down some of these, printed off some of them. Here's one that touched my heart. I'm so thankful for this version of reading the Bible through in one year. With so many versions, the Old and New Testament would be read on the same day, and the Psalms would be read through. While that's not a bad way to read the Word, I've gotten so much out of reading through one book at a time from the Old Testament, then a few Psalms at a time, then the whole book of the New Testament mixed in. My two teenage sons are enjoying listening to the Bible with me. They think about the comments you make, the insights you have, and the knowledge you share. I really appreciate this Bible ministry you're undertaking this year. It's a long, big commitment you're making. We've been praying for you too. Well, Joanne, thank you so much. God bless you, and God bless your two teenage boys listening with you as we're reading together through the Word of God. Greetings, hello, thank you, and especially, friends, thank you for your prayers. I just want you to know that, well, this has been a great adventure, but it is, honestly, the most challenging thing I've ever tried to do in my life. We still have a long way to go, so I do thank you for your prayers. Hey, today, we are starting the amazing book of Esther, Esther in the Old Testament. You may say, what do we need to know about Esther? Well, there's a lot here. Wonderful story. Did you know Esther is the only book of the Bible that does not mention God at all? His name does not appear. Think about that. A book in the Bible that doesn't mention God, and yet his fingerprints are everywhere over this story. Well, I'm happy to say that Marlene has returned to, uh, she's going to read through the book of Esther for us. She read the book of Ruth earlier. Now she's going to read the book of Esther. And today, Marlene is going to introduce the book and read for us Esther chapters 1 through 4. Take it away, honey. We're going to be reading from the book of Esther for the next three days. What a book. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. As we read, I'd like you to keep your ears open and notice the following things. One, the name of God is not mentioned, even though he is clearly in charge of everything that happens in this little book. Esther is a story of God's providence, his gracious oversight of the details of life. He placed Esther in Susa at just the right time. All the details of the palace intrigue were overseen by God. He had Mordecai in place by his design. Xerxes chose Esther to be his queen by God's design. Number three, God's plan is and always has been to save the Jewish people. At the beginning of the book of Esther, it looks like the Jews in Xerxes' kingdom are doomed. But God. Number four, and maybe most importantly, it only took one obedient young woman to change the course of history. Her statement, if I perish, I perish in the King James or in the NLT, 
if I die, I die, is one of complete surrender to and confidence in her God, our God. Number five, what is the one thing only you can do for God? Are you, like Esther, willing to do that one thing? Let's get started. Chapter 1. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne in the fortress in Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days, a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on the mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking, for the king had instructed all his palace, palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told his seven eunuchs who attended him, Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was very beautiful. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. The names of these men were Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Miras, Marcina, and Mucan, seven nobles of Persia and Media. They met with the king regularly and held the highest positions in the empire. What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders properly sent through his eunuchs? Mimukan answered the king and his nobles. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did 
and will start treating their husbands like the queen did in the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. So, if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banned from the presence of King Xerxes, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles thought this made good sense, so he followed Mamukin's counsel. He sent letters to all the parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. Chapter 2 But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, Let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the king's harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatment. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiachin, of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other women, were brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly offered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone her nationality and her family background, because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought to the second harem, where the king's wives lived. There, she would be under the care of Shahazgaz, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her, and requested her by name. Esther was the daughter of Abihail, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin Esther. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, 
She accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai became a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions, just as she did when she lived in his home. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. Esther chapter 3 Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with their order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's contempt conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire kingdom of Xerxes. So in the month of April, during the twelfth year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim, to determine the best day and month to take action. The day was selected was March 7, nearly a year later. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from any of the other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, issue a decree that they will be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger 
and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, The money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So on April 17, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was given exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective provinces, and the nobles of every province in their own scripts and languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7 of the next year. The property of the Jews would also be given to those who killed them. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers, and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted and wept and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak, Go back to Mordecai and relay this message. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for thirty days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. 
Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Thanks, sweetheart. What an amazing story that is. And talk about a cliffhanger. When you get to the end of chapter 4, Mordecai, that good godly man, has said to Queen Esther, who knows, but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And he even says, if you're not willing to help us, help and relief will come from another place. Traditionally, that's been that's been a place where, where when you read the story, you're supposed to understand what Mordecai is saying. If you won't help us, God has other ways of helping his people. And look at the way she responded. She said, fast and pray for me. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. Boy, what a good word that is for us today. Faith is taking the next step and leaving the results with God. You may say, uh, I want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, so do I. And you know how we're going to discover that? We're going to have to go to bed tonight and get up tomorrow and see what happens. Esther did not know what the king would do or how he would respond. Her life was on the line. She was willing to take the next step. Now, you're going to have to come back tomorrow to find out what happens. But let's just say this. Today, what God wants from you today is to take the next step with him. Just take the next step and commit everything into his hand. If God is God, he can take care of you today, tomorrow, and forever. And because God is God, he will do that. So, folks, go out and have a great God-blessed day. But we got to come back tomorrow. Marlene's going to tell us more of the story, and we're going to see. There's going to be some interesting twists and turns here. So go out and have a great God-blessed day, taking steps of faith for the Lord. Come back tomorrow. We're going to do this again. God bless.